This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, I don't get winded when I say that now, so I think that I'm on the uh, the the really solid recovery side of COVID-19 now that I don't get winded from just staying in the opening anymore. That's a good sign. I'm uh, glad you're getting better. Um, I'm glad the country as a whole seems to be uh, really improving with uh, yes. everything with the vaccines out now. So um, not not a whole lot, Sean, with this. You know, normally we would be planning for a basketball game tonight, uh, but, of course, that game got canceled. Uh, and John Calipari confirmed on his radio show last night, I believe, that he uh, there will not be a game this week. So they're still hoping to get those makeup games in once the season ends uh, after the Ole Miss game. So They needed a game, that, too. Yeah, it would have been nice to try to keep that momentum going, but uh, as it is, I mean, you get you know a week to work on whatever it is Cal wants to work on, uh, plan for the rematch against Florida. Of course, Florida plays tonight, I believe. They play tonight against maybe Ole Miss, actually. I don't have that pulled up in front of me, but I was looking at their schedule. Um, I'm going to be getting that confused, though, since Kentucky plays Ole Miss after Florida. But as it is, um, that leaves us with not a whole lot to talk about except for something that happened a few nights ago. That is make that made the rounds yesterday again because of a press conference. Yeah, and it's Florida at Auburn tonight. So Florida plays Auburn instead of Ole Miss. So that's actually a pretty intriguing game on the road there. But yeah, you're you're right. Uh, the story for the last few days and it it came out of nowhere and it was late, late Saturday night. So Louisville had just got absolutely curb stomped by North Carolina. So this this wasn't a good day for Chris Mack. It's not been a good 48 to 72 hours for Chris Mack. Uh, you at, you texted me and asked me, Drew Franklin's the one who put the video out. Uh, no idea where the video came from. We have no idea who released it. But it's obviously been the talk of the state for the last couple of days. Uh, Chris Mack, by now everybody's seen the video uh, coming out. And uh, with, is it Eric Wood? Is that the former UK, U, uh, UofL football player's name? Yeah, trash-talking Kentucky. It was mainly Kenny Payne's name was the one that was brought up the most. But Derek, Chris Mack literally had to call a press conference on Monday, in addition to being on the on with the ACC, with the coaches' conference and everything. And I had to apologize pretty much for the, for the video going out. So... When you think about it, Louisville beats Kentucky by three. At the time, one of the worst Kentucky teams, one of the one in six after that. I mean, we still don't know what this Kentucky team ends up being, but it's certainly not one of the better ones. And he pretty much, there's a black eye around it because of a video that goes out. So how much can really Chris Mack and Louisville celebrate their victory? Because now all the attention is going to be on this next game whenever they play again and Cal, kind of. You you texted me. You said, "Look, Cal's going to write this in blood." Yeah, like he's he's never going to forget this. On Saturday, when I first saw, it, I think like the shock factor of just seeing it, like something that clearly <clears throat> Chris Mack was probably not ever thinking would would see the you know lot of day. By yesterday, like I thought, I thought it was like a little excessive to a point though that like he had to spend a whole press conference like talking about it. Um, the way I see it from the UK, and he said he reached out to Cal, called Cal, and uh, Cal said you know he didn't have to apologize. I think Cal Perry took just. I mean, I wish I could have put a bet on this. Of course, when asked about it, said he had not seen it. <laughs> Don't believe that for a second, but that's that's his go-to. He never sees anything. Um, but he said you know Chris didn't really need to call him, but he appreciated that he did. 
I think that's fine, you know, being cordial and all that. That's how I would expect Cal to react. But to me, Cal strikes me as the kind of competitor that if this year enough, just being as bad as they have been, wasn't enough to motivate him. Even something that could be perceived as a slight, I think will seriously motivate him. And you know at some point he's going to, like, acknowledge the video somehow. He's going to say something or, or whatever. It's just how he does things. He'll it'll acknowledge be, it in some way. It'll be tucked away in a press conference or something yeah. where he'll just go on a rant and then just throw yeah. it out there. Now, the one thing I want to say about it. So, Max says that it was not in any way a shot at Cal. And, I, and of course, look, they didn't, they didn't think this video was getting out. But if I, I'm I'm a little bit confused because if you're saying that it's a joke to Kenny Payne, or if it's just you know poking fun, you know saying "aha, we beat Kentucky." Kenny Payne's son plays at Kentucky right now. <laughs> yeah, you get you get what I'm saying. Like, how does that? I, I'm just confused on that. And then two, saying that it's not a shot at Cal, you technically can't say that now that the video's public. Because if you're saying Kenny Payne won all those games, that's a shot at John Calipari. There's no other way around it. But at what point do we... I love it, though, if you're wanting me to be honest. But it's mostly a a very intoxicated Eric Wood. Oh, a super, yeah. Super intoxicated Eric Wood, and... Probably for days following that, that's how intoxicated he was. And I think... I mean, Chris Mack, I think, kind of looks... Like, Chris Mack didn't say anything bad. He's just in the video. He's like a hype man, basically, behind him, like, like jumping up. And, and and I think there's even one point where Wood says, like, they'll, they'll never. <laughs> I don't know about ever. <laughs> yeah, and he says, like, I don't, I don't know about ever. So, like, I don't. Even he, he was like, like, even he was able to acknowledge that, hey, man, that was a little too much. <laughs> I just think that, like, uh, it's enough. It's enough to be juicy. And, it, like, for this state, for this rivalry, like, it's, it's something to get people going. It's provocative. Things like that, but I don't view Chris Mack any differently. I would say, and like, and here's how I view the thing too: is like it's been proven over time now. Like Kentucky is going to beat Louisville more up in the knot with John Calipari here. So like, this is not the start. And please, if Louisville people listen to this, if if this turns out, you can flip it. You can make fun of me. Like, <laughs> this was not a start of a of a changing of. of in my opinion, it's not going to change. Like this is not going to be the start of a five-year Louisville run where they beat Kentucky every year. Like my guess is Kentucky wins next year in a row. Like, so, I mean, maybe not. I mean, maybe Louisville will come in there and beat them. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. Like I say, if Cal's here five more years, I'm going to guess Kentucky wins, you know, more than they lose to Louisville in the next five years. But uh, it it was something though to to talk about. Um, I would say KSR probably won considering that uh, it got this much attention. Of course, Drew put it out there. It was enough to where a whole press conference it sounded like for the most part was spent on it. I mean, if you're Chris Mack though, I mean, would you rather talk about your forty point loss or talk about that? You That's know? true. So, That's a good. So I don't know what he. Uh, I mean, they were they nearly got fifty pieced uh, by North Carolina. They were down forty nine <laughs> in the last two minutes of that game, uh, which I mean they were coming off COVID pause. I don't think they had all their players mm-hmm. available. It's a weird year like that, but still, it's uh, an embarrassing loss for sure. It wasn't all that bad, no matter no matter the scenario. Matter of fact, I think the two guys that were out weren't necessarily essential pieces to their team um but not playing for three weeks certainly hurt them but i don't know shot overall like what do you you think it'll be something that blows over or what i mean i mean yeah it it won't be anything like i don't look at chris mack any differently either like that's that's the way that i look at it too like i i don't think that chris mack's some you know awful human being i don't i don't think that chris mack and cal have hate for one another i mean I i do think that it it needed this though the rivalry needed this and here's why i was i i actually i typed this tweet out sunday but i was like no i, I don't want to get into this debate today i don't want i don't feel like having my twitter mentions go back and forth all day about it but i typed up that i never that i never thought the rivalry could ever get back to anything near what it was when patino was at louisville just given patino winning a national championship at kentucky leaving Kentucky and then coming back to Louisville and then all the other stuff that was just, you know, fueled into that. I didn't think that it could ever get back to a level of people looking forward to games the way that they did. I think that this game, whenever they play this next one, this coming December, if that's when it's scheduled like it annually is, 
I think that this might be one of the most anticipated ones in a regular season, just given the video and given that Kentucky lost this last year and then the videos that led up to that. But the rivalry needed it because when Chris Mack got to Louisville, the one thing that Kentucky fans, everybody said, I have no reason to not like this guy. Yeah. Like, if you're a fan, you just got a reason to – as, and that's the cool thing about fan, like a fandom, right? Uh, whoever, like with us being Reds fans, I'm sure we we both have our baseball teams that we don't like or managers we don't like or players that we don't like and stuff. That's what makes sports fun. So now Kentucky fans, even though Chris Mack's not an awful human being, they can t- – 80, 90% of them are going to be like, I can't stand Chris Mack. And it's given them a reason to not like him, and that's what makes rivalries rivalries. I also want to say this. I don't. This is going to come off condescending, but like, if you're the fan who is like, "Oh, look at the way Louisville's celebrating for beating the worst Kentucky team," like, don't be that fan. Like, no. Josh Allen and Benny Snell were doing L's down when they won 56 to 10 against a two and ten Louisville team. Like, and if you could have clocked me on a 40 yard dash that night when I went and got that photo, I probably would have got drafted <laughs> by an NFL team. Yeah, that so it's like your photo that's getting sent around, like that's been sent around the last three years. Like, the fun and rivalries is like. You celebrate whenever you win, no matter what. It doesn't matter. Like it's not, it's not Louisville's fault. That it was a horrible Louisville football team. That yeah, like you still Louisville. celebrate it. So I mean, that's the fun of the rivalry. Um, I mean, shoot, Kentucky winning thirty four seven at Tennessee. That ended up being a three and seven Tennessee team, but like it's still a highlight of a season. It's a big deal when you beat your rival. And yeah. Louisville has beaten Calipari twice since he's been at Kentucky. Like they're gonna celebrate. That's that's part of it. It doesn't matter how bad your team is. Only thing you can hope for is that, you know, you come back the next season, then you get the bragging rights for a year. I mean, and more often than not in the Cal era. I mean, the Kentucky fans have had – I mean, the Louisville basketball program itself, not even related to losing to Kentucky almost every single time, I mean, has given plenty of people – I mean, they're just easy to mock because of the whole stripper gate. And then they get – after that happens, it comes up that they paid to get Brian Bowen. Like, I believe that was his name. Like, was. there's plenty of other reasons I like, make fun of them, whereas, I mean – like you know, it, you know your team lost to them this year. Just like, just own it. You know, it is what it is. Everybody knows it's a bad Kentucky team, but it shouldn't diminish celebrations, in my opinion. That's just my little soapbox rant. Off off topic. Did I ever tell you my Brian Bowen story? I don't think so. So, did you go to South Carolina in Jared Vanderbilt the the game that he debuted? I did not. No. Okay, I was there. It snowed that night. That's the one. That's one thing I remember about that trip. When I was leaving, I went out. I had no idea how to get out. That was the first time I'd ever been to South Carolina's arena. You, you know, when you go to these arenas, it, it, sometimes you're like, where in the heck am I? Like, I'll never forget Texas Tech last year. I don't even know where to go. But coming out at South Carolina, I ended up somehow getting down the hallway where the South Carolina locker room was. Was not supposed to be there. I go out a side door. He gets in a fully loaded Jeep Rubicon. I'm talking like loaded. I bet that thing cost $80,000 or more. And I just, I'm sitting there thinking the entire time, I'm like, I wonder if Louisville paid for that. <laughs> you know, like the entire time he's getting in it. Didn't even play that night and just jumps in. His, and I was like, that is the nicest Jeep I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, so whatever happened, he never even played us. Like, I know he went there, but he never played there, right? Yeah. So he, he ended up having to leave or whatever happened. Uh, I guess he's trying to play somewhere in a, in a pro career, but it was something, I guess, um, the whole Mac stuff, it was just something to pass the time, I guess, is the way I view it. Like, it was a big topic yesterday. I mean, days. It's good for work. It was good yeah, for work. yeah. Got, got, uh, got people talking about it. And, I mean, it's – It added some spice to the rivalry, and now that is going to be the story between now and December. I will say this, too, on Mac. I don't have a great reference for how coaches act away from camera. I don't. I don't know that any of us really do in terms of like a grand scale of how coaches. Like, I would say he he looked very goofy. Like, it's not. You couldn't imagine Calipari doing something like that. You couldn't imagine Roy Williams. Well, I know these are older guys at this point, but Roy Williams, Coach K. Like, I just don't think you would ever catch someone like that behaving that way. And again, it wasn't like he was behaving. Badly, he just kind of looks goofy, you know, just like a hype man. I don't know, just for a guy to be a head coach at a at a, a major university, it just seemed a little. You don't see it really well, at that's, all. That's the thing that that about it. It, even though honestly, it was it was harmless. Like it's not anything that's yeah. that's bad. He didn't say anything horrible in the video. 
it's still an embarrassing thing to him because he didn't want that to get out there. He, I actually he, feel bad for Eric Wood because, I, I mean, he's obviously a former NFL guy, but I think he works for, like, the ACC Network, and he was, like, collateral on this thing because, like, and I'm not talking to Drew about this, but clearly Drew's intention was to, like, make light of Eric, of Chris Mack, not Eric Wood. Like, Eric Wood just kind of caught in the in – the, I don't know. I, I just feel bad for him because if, if Eric Wood is on a video and Chris Mack's not behind him, like, no one, no one gives a damn what Eric Wood has to say about – about Kenny Payne and all that. But the fact that Chris Mack's there, that's what makes the video intriguing. Well, uh, And I feel bad for him in that way. Because, I mean, like, if it really was just a private video and they're just sending it to, to Kenny Payne as, as friends or whatever, just joking around, like, it does make you wonder how he got out, though, doesn't it? That, like, that is, if there is anything that's really intriguing, it's like, yes, it's that somebody, and, whether they were close to Chris Mack or not, somebody like, like, they obviously went to the biggest media entity, the people who spend more time than anybody, KSR, making fun of Louisville. Yeah, uh, they went right to those guys and let, let them and do whatever clearly, they wanted. And it clearly leaked the day that they get absolutely dog stomped by North Carolina. So even more so there. But uh, yeah, just that was Saturday. You know when Chris Mack saw that thing going out there Saturday night, he's thinking, "Oh no, like tomorrow's going to be awful. The next day's going to be awful." It, I would have loved to have been with with John Calipari when somebody showed him that video. When T.J. Bosner, whoever, Eric, whoever showed him that video, I would have loved to have seen his reaction. Because I, I, I'm going to say that Cal, now that it's been a couple of days, he's probably not. But I'm going to say at first he probably was boiling, if I'm guessing. You know, I just think Cal looks for any anything like that. I mean, he's kind of indicative. So, I mean, anything that he can do to motivate him, even if it wasn't anything horrible. I mean, I think he's going to use it to his advantage. So, but again, like, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it makes it fun, right? I mean, it's, it, it makes it fun. Like the whole, the whole Chris Mack video back in whatever, September, October, whatever that came out. And then Cal followed it with the hidden message in the video that John Hell uh, pulled apart like that. That that's fun. Like that's what I want to see. Don't you? You don't see that like with North Carolina and Duke or anything. I love that stuff though. I yeah, love when kind of like Chris Mack. Like that that video from back before the season was was way more. It was uh, worse than this one. Yeah, it was way more evidence not to like him. Like I mean, he's just jumping around, just like yelling in a video. And I don't think I don't think he did anything. And then again, <laughs> you can also take the whole COVID element too. That's the a that's bunch the of bad look for him. Yeah, he's having people over at his house. Like, if you're a leader of a program, like that, that's that's a bad look too. I would say just because, and I know it gets tricky because like he's in his house. Uh, I believe he was at his house, so it's not like he was out somewhere doing this. When he was at home and just had. I his think a lot of people at first thought he was in a bar. That's what I thought when I saw. It. Yeah, yeah, I thought he was that's like, what I thought too. Roosters or whatever he's always talking about in his press conferences, telling people to meet him at Roosters or, or whatever the place is. <laughs> I think out of everything, though, that's the worst look for him, just given the pandemic and that his team has struggled with COVID. He's had yeah. COVID. I think that that's kind of the thing. But there, there's guys on that Louisville staff. I mean, I I know Dino Gladio really well, and I, I like Dino. Like, that was somebody I got to know before he ever got back into coaching. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's good for the rivalry, though. The rivalry needed something. When you lose Rick Pitino and he gets fired, look, the Kentucky-Louisville rivalry took a significant hit the day that Rick Pitino left Louisville. If you're a Kentucky fan, you should have been rooting for Rick Pitino to be at Louisville as long as possible. That's like when Duke loses Coach K, North Carolina loses Roy. What happens to the rivalry? It's still rivalry, but Coach K and Roy Williams make that rivalry now. Like what happens to Duke basketball when Coach K goes away? It, you know, the, all these stories. Like you don't this Duke Duke twenty years from now. Maybe you get two guys in there who, who truly hate each other. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Or maybe you get two guys who are cordial. You never know. But, but that's uh, what makes things so much fun is when things like this happen. And I, like I said, I don't think that Chris Mack and John Calipari have any hate towards one another. I really don't. Well, it's hard to follow up with uh, if you're in Chris Mack's shoes in terms of like being like. The history between Cal and Patino was, like, deep, deep, deep. Ran, like, many years before Cal ever got to Kentucky um, with, you know, Rick apparently helping him get the job at UMass, or he claimed to have helped him get the job at UMass. Um, You know, people, you know, thought he kind of, like, that Cal wanted to be like Rick Patino, the way he dressed, things like that. Um, It was was, was going to be hard to ever replicate that, and then – and then they, they obviously, UMass, they played several times, a few times at least, well, three times, I think, at least, whenever Cal was at UMass when they played Kentucky. 
And, um, and then that was always going to be hard to follow. Us. Then they were Louisville and Memphis with yeah, and Conference USA. Conference. And then, yeah, yeah like the, the rivalry needed Chris Mack to do the video back in the fall. And it honestly, I think it needed it now. Uh, and two, if you're a Kentucky fan, you're sitting here thinking, you know, Chris Mack pretty much had to come out and apologize for one of the happiest things. That was one of the happiest 48 hours yeah. of Chris Mack's coaching career. He beat Kentucky. Yeah. At Louisville, that's a big deal. You beat Kentucky, especially in you know recent years. You get a win over Kentucky in basketball, those fans will celebrate like it happened five times, and rightfully so. They don't. They haven't beaten Kentucky much the last decade. Yeah, you got to enjoy the wins when you get them. I mean, no matter no matter how bad. While we're while we're on this whole rivalry thing, how about the Tennessee Kentucky Twitter account going back and forth with the pettiness? What do you think about that? Um. Since we're talking about rivalries and stuff, <laughs> I first of all let me say this: um, Tennessee's AD, or, or not the AD, sorry, Tennessee's uh, media relations guy for basketball uh, is is one of the best guys at his job. I think that I with the basketball yearbook, I'm pretty much in charge of, of writing the quick facts, prospectus, all this stuff for the SEC teams, and a lot of these teams. You know, I'm writing the yearbook in August. Well, it's the SEC. This is a football conference. A lot of the basketball teams don't even pay attention to that stuff until, you know, October maybe. But Tennessee always has their stuff up pretty early, and I think it's pretty well known that their account – I mean, Tennessee's account is trollish. You know, a, a lot of a lot of team social media accounts are. And I think – they really struck a nerve with somebody at UK that uh, they had the – whatever the tweet was about the habit or whatever, three times is a habit or whatever. I think it really um, – it seemed to me like UK is trying to reinforce its uh, dominance, I guess, in the rivalry all time versus because like the narrative right now is that Barnes owns Cal or what, and they'll, yeah. like, of course Cal just beat them pretty bad, so maybe that'll calm down for a minute. But like Cal does have a losing record, Trick Barnes, since he's been at Tennessee, and I think that was Kentucky's way of you know saying, hey, you might be having some success right now, but don't forget that. You know, these two teams have played basketball more than any two teams, and, like, Kentucky has beaten them more than they've beaten any opponent ever. Well, and vice versa. I mean, Tennessee's beaten them more than any other opponent, too, but that's how it is when you play that many games. So I, I thought – I didn't have much thoughts about it, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, to me, it seemed like UK was very much trying to – I, I, think, I think it bothered UK, is what I'm trying to say. Like, did, did you get that impression? I no, mean, well, I, well, considering that they yeah. put out the exact graphic, with everything, like yeah, that, that that graphic was made before they won Saturday. I mean, that yeah. was that was already put together, and then the the whole we're having fun stuff. I mean, look, they 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 love it. Like, I mean, t- winning at Tennessee, Tennessee, Kentucky is a big basketball game every year now. I mean, that's the thing that Rick Barnes. I mean, it was always a big game when Bruce Pearl was there and everything. But when when Tennessee's good, it's two really good games on your basketball schedule every year that Kentucky fans look forward to. When Tennessee's not good. It's not as exciting. I mean, Kentucky, I isn't Kentucky looking when when you're when you've dominated the SEC as long as Kentucky has, your rival your rival team in your conference changes, like it was Arkansas in the nineties, Florida. now Florida when it was Billy Donovan's time there. Uh, you had that short run there um, a few years ago where it was easy to to dislike Marshall Henderson and Ole Miss. And stuff like that, you know, like you get you get a villain or something like that on another team or Auburn in recent years, Kentucky Auburn. Uh, they don't tr- they don't have a true rival outside of Tennessee in the SEC that you when know. You're, that. Yeah, when you're Kentucky, you're you're an, the way the SEC schedules. I'm gonna guess Alabama is gonna be the new team that you see them. And I know they still play Alabama a lot anyway, but like you're gonna play them playing Alabama twice a year every time Nate Oates is there. So, like, they might be – whenever you're Kentucky and especially under Cal with how good UK has been, like, for other programs that are trying to come up in the league and, and, and grow their brand, like, Kentucky is always going to be a measuring stick. It's always going to be a big deal to play Kentucky, to beat Kentucky. I mean, that's why I used to see these teams storm the or storm the court, you know, and they would beat UK. Even if UK wasn't that great, like, you would still see them because it's just the, the significance of beating a team – like Kentucky, that has dominated the conference for so long, it's always going to be a big deal. And uh, Tennessee, more than anybody here here lately, has done a good job of that. Um, and and two, when you think about it, for Tennessee, that that's 
they don't have an SEC tournament championship to show for anything that they've done so far with Barnes. They don't have a, a Final Four. They've had some teams that might have been good enough to get there but didn't. Is is that the best thing they have going for them, honestly? <laughs> is that Barnes is good against Calipari? It's a program that's, you know, been successful and had success, you know, Derek, probably since I, I can go back to high school days, you know, Bruce Pearl. Uh, they've had some really good basketball teams, but like you said, there's nothing to show for outside of what? Going to the Elite Eight one time, the Sweet 16 once, and then or a couple times, and beating Kentucky quite a bit. Like, you're, you're right. That is that's what they that is what they want to do. Uh, but it used to be the same way with Kentucky and football. You used to want to beat who? Tennessee. Uh, wow. they, they wanted to try to beat Florida. Uh, yeah, it. but I was okay with all of it. Like, I, I think a little pettiness here and there, especially when it comes to Team social media accounts, it, it makes it fun, but it's uh, yeah. I mean, if you're Tennessee, like you gotta you gotta ride that out as much as you can. I mean, if you have success in TK, if you have the kind of success that no one else is having in TK anyway in the league, I mean, I think you gotta. And if they beat them in the tournament or something, like if Tennessee were to meet in the SEC, tournament, oh, yeah. I can't even imagine what's going to come out of those social media accounts. So that's like the year they beat them in the SEC tournament a couple of years ago. Uh, Kentucky fans, that was a horrible day for them. <laughs> I don't think they ever were going to forget that game because they always rode the whole Lamonte Turner hits daggers against Kentucky. Remember he hit that big three there late in the game? Yeah. Speaking of daggers, that's that's the that's the tweak this year. I'm convinced that that's Cal's tweak is daggers. the dagger thing. I think yeah. he's going to keep riding that thing all the way through the NCAA or the SEC tournament if they get to the NCAA tournament. It's a dagger, dude. What he say? That's what he said the yeah, other day. <laughs> dude, where's the dagger? <laughs> yeah, that is going to be us. Like that's going to be on t-shirts <laughs> left and right. Pretty soon. <laughs> the dagger. No, yeah. I mean, Devin asked you. That's like that's what I was saying on the last podcast or whenever we recorded last. I think it was our last episode. That like the mental aspect of Cal is. That's I think that's what he's trying to do things now is. Um, really get these guys in the mindset. And maybe he, maybe he's viewing it that way because of how many games they had where they just didn't play well in the final four minutes. Where like There were opportunities there. Maybe in his mind he thinks, you know, if one guy steps up and makes a big shot or, or makes a big defensive play, takes a charge or something, maybe they could have won the game. And maybe that's kind of his uh, emphasis now. Glad, glad to be mentioning this. I wanted to I send it to you yesterday. Uh, Jacob Toppin, the Ken Palm thing I sent you. To me. Based on the depth chart uh, on Ken Palm, the last five games, Jacob Toppin is, is playing the most at power forward out of anybody on the team. Now, he's not – that's the depth chart of the past five games. He's playing 47% uh, at power forward. However, in terms of lineups, Toppin is, in the last five games, he is in their lineup usage uh, the third most, 7.6%. He is in the lineup with Mance, Boston, Brooks, and Saar. So I just want to talk about these lineups for a minute because uh, – is very, very clear, and this is not anything that these Ken Palm numbers needed to show you to know this, but, like, they have settled on a rotation, I think. Oh, absolutely. At this point. So, like, uh, Allen might get a few minutes here and there, and Ware might as well, depending on the situation, but Toppin has, has forced his way into this rotation. Uh, one thing that really surprised me a little bit, though, Sean, is the top four lineups that are on Ken Palm for the last five games, Sar is in all of those lineups. So... I think what we take from that, I mean, even though Jackson's playing really well, Brooks is playing well for them. I mean, he's, what, coming off, came off another double-double oh, against Tennessee. Yeah. I think he had, like, 12 rebounds against Vanderbilt. So he's playing pretty good ball. Uh, and then Toppin's playing well, Brooks. And then Jackson, like, those are three guys that you could, you don't necessarily have to have a star on the floor to play guys yet. Cal, I think, very clearly sees him as a, as a focal point of the offense. Well, and here's the other thing about it, too. Since they've started playing Sar a little differently on offense, what's happened to their offensive numbers? Improved. It's improved. And when now they still post him, but they don't try to force it the post stuff. They let him catch and face up. That wasn't happening early in the season. He made a beautiful left-handed move the other day off the block too that I thought was a really good play for him that if he can build on that, but his face-up game, 15 feet, stuff like that, that little baseline jumper that's who he is. And then Jackson, his face-up game. What are you seeing happen to him? He had, he had a little step-back jumper the other day. And then when you hit that, after you just went baseline and went Skywalker on somebody, you're becoming unguardable. And then the way that he rebounds misses and runs the floor in transition, 
that you are 110% right when you said it the other day. I, I don't remember word for word what you said, but you were talking about five years from now. I think you may have texted this to me. I don't know if you said it publicly or not, but that will be the, the best player out of that. I'm, I'm, that's going to be one of the best guys out of that draft class, no doubt. Like he may end up being like how we watched Bam Adebayo have a good career at Kentucky, but you didn't think that it was going to lead to NBA All-Star, triple-doubles, and all this other stuff. Isaiah yeah. Jackson, in my opinion, is should be a top-ten pick. That's the thing. Like, I, I think he's going to be much more than just like a rim runner in the NBA. Like I think he's going to have, you know, five years from now, I think he's going to have a real offensive game. I think he'll be able to shoot it a little bit. I don't think his form's horrible. He doesn't really take any jumpers. I think they were letting him shoot a little bit early this season, and they – we're like, no, stop that. You're not going to be shooting any more threes. But I think in the NBA, like, you need to be able to do that these days. And I think you know, five years from now when he's worked on that every single day, I think he'll have a good enough jumper. I mean, I, I think he's going to be – he's weird because I don't know how high I would draft him if I were a, a pro team. But if you could get him in late lottery some somewhere in there to like the 20th pick, I think you're getting a guy that I think you'd be thrilled. To get some, he's like the one guy on this team that I feel will will be a very good NBA player. Whereas BJ, like, I think BJ's gonna, I think he's gonna make it. I do, but I think he's just gonna have a a longer road to get there. Do you think? Of, like, I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to somebody about it, and like BJ, I think will be a, will be a scorer in the NBA. But the problem that he, ha- I mean, one, obviously his physical strength is not good right now. But two, like, I think when you compare him athletically to other NBA players, he's really nothing special. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he he doesn't do anything with his athleticism that just jumps off the page to me. Uh, He's finishing. He's he does it right now. He doesn't need to be a one hand finisher inside of three or four feet. He tries to finish too many plays with one hand, and that's not going to get the job done, especially with his frame. Uh, He missed one there early in the game against Tennessee that I thought he should have he should have finished. But those are plays like in in the past where Kentucky's elite perimeter players they dunk those balls. They don't they don't lay them up and try to finesse it. Uh, I do think he has potential to be a very solid player long term and stuff, especially uh, with development and getting stronger and things like that. That's a kid I'd love to see play another year of college basketball. We're we're not going to see it though. Same thing with Terrence Clark. I'd have liked to have seen uh, a full season, uh, but it is what it is. But yeah, Isaiah Jackson, SEC Freshman of the Week. Uh, somebody DM me the other day because when I said that. He's a lottery pick, and they obviously they didn't agree. They said two to, they said two to three solid games, and he's a lottery pick. Good grief! What, what are you talking about? Yeah, two to three solid, but he's been solid all year on a bad I, team. Well, I kind of thought we were. I'm sorry, I kind of thought we were past this too. Uh, I mean, come on, guys! Like we're 12 years into the Calipari era. You know by this point that on-court performance does not always translate right or wrong into where a guy gets drafted. No. Never. I mean, Isaiah Jackson's going to get picked in the first round because of what he could be, not because of what he is today. Yeah. So I, I, if you're frustrated with that, I understand it. But, like, Sean's not wrong in saying that, like, he's going to be drafted that high. I mean, he will be. I mean, he's going to be a first-rounder. Yeah. Uh, almost certainly. I, maybe he won't get all the way up to the lottery. But And same with BJ. Like, I think someone's going to take a chance on BJ in the first round, too. Was, I want to think Jackson was 20 on one board that I looked at the other day, but that was before the Tennessee game. He's going to keep going up. I mean, it's yeah. three straight games where he's played well. He, I don't know what the workout situation is going to be for these guys, but I'm sure he's going to test really well. Um, someone's going to fall in love with him. And uh, well, Let's say he's at 20 right now. That's six spots. Just to get the – yeah. I yeah. Mean, he can climb six spots, no doubt. Uh, who would have thought Tyler Hero would have worked into where he was? At one point. I mean, that's the thing. Like, everybody had, everybody thought that year when it began that Keldon Johnson would be the lottery pick. Probably should have been, given how he's played and stuff. But uh, Tower Hero there, too. I mean, th- that's the thing. There's always a guy on a U.K. roster that you don't think is going to get into the lottery. Then where does he get? Gets into the lottery round. Do you think there's a flaw with the way NBA scouts evaluate guys, though? Do you think they focus too much on potential and not maybe enough on how actually good is this player? Does that make sense, what I'm asking? It, it, it does. It does make sense. I mean, obviously, potential carries it, right? I mean, that's why B.J. Boston was on draft boards being talked about as a lottery pick out of high school in top ten. Nobody knew what he was going to do at college. Uh, 
I would agree with that. Yeah, I, I do think that it's. Also, I think it's one of the messiest things to evaluate, though, because of the age difference and everything. Like a a twenty three year old player is, like a twenty three year old college basketball player could be a very good college basketball player and turn into a solid pro, but you don't look at them the same way as you look at an eighteen or nineteen year old kid. Yeah, I like think about like Fred VanVleet, like a guy who's doing tremendously well with the Raptors, undrafted, yeah. great, great, great college player, undrafted, and has turned into a a great pro, but I guess you don't view him as having that same kind of ceiling, though, as a guy who is a five-star recruit out of high school. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's just use a guy, for example, at Kentucky, like, I don't know, Hamadou Diallo, somebody like that, who uh, didn't have a great college experience at all, I would say, but as he's since turned himself out. I actually saw he's having a really good year. He is. With the Thunder. But I just wonder, like, I mean, like, well, how does a guy like, like, how does no one take a guy like Fred VanVleet who was that successful in college? How does, how does every single team miss on that? That, that makes no sense. It, it doesn't. I mean, the dude scored 50 a couple of weeks ago in an yeah. NBA game. I think it was actually a Toronto franchise record, right, by, for points, if I'm not mistaken. I think what gets what gets kind of lost along the way is you look at a guy like Hamadou Diallo is a perfect example. You look at Hami and what he did at Kentucky. It, it wasn't great. But what the one thing that should have been looked at more on that roster, he couldn't do what he was good at because that team could not shoot to save their life. That's true, too. And I, that was actually some of the criticism of that. I think it was Gavani at ESPN had in terms of trying to evaluate Boston. He was basically putting the blame on a lot of other factors for why Boston hadn't been playing that well to begin the season. So that is true, too, how these teams already evaluate it. Um, if B.J. Boston were playing with Tyler Ewis, B.J. Boston would be scoring about 18 to 19 points a game right yeah. now. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. That is not a knock on Devin Askew, Davion Mintz, or anybody in Kentucky's backcourt. It's not. I'm just – I think – you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, and I hadn't got on board with it, but the more that I've watched, I do think that Kentucky's point guard play, when it comes to – Devin Askew's assist-to-turnover ratio is – significantly improved and it's solid and the kids getting better but for the longest time Kentucky didn't have anyone that made things easy on other guys they didn't have that guy on their roster that could just set somebody up and put somebody in a good position to be successful and I think that that's hurt not only did it hurt Boston I think it hurt Sar. I think it hurt it hurt everybody on the roster it even hurt Askew and those guys in, in their own right they couldn't do anything to kind of help themselves uh, this team has had to execute more than any team I ever remember at Kentucky. See, like I, I think, and these kind of guys don't come back to Kentucky, but like Jackson, I think Jackson's gonna get taken in a good range. I don't, I don't see the benefit for Jackson for coming back for another year. Like, no. the obvious thing you could say to that is like, if he comes back, like, would he be a better player? Absolutely. Like, yes, I don't think anyone's gonna act like he wouldn't be better First next team year. All American next year if he comes back to Kentucky. Yeah, and like, uh, will that translate to like how much higher would it go? I don't know, but like someone like BJ, I think it makes way more sense for someone like BJ to seriously consider coming back versus a guy like Isaiah. And I say that just because I, I don't know. I, a lot of what I do is based on the eye test, which I know is not a great way to to do things. But to me, like I could actually see Isaiah like sticking on a team next year, maybe helping an NBA team a little bit, maybe not being a great NBA player and, and as a rookie. I don't, not many guys are. But, like, I could see him sticking on a team, doing some things that really get people excited. Whereas I think BJ, I think he's really going to have a hard time next year. Like, I'd be surprised if he doesn't have to spend a significant amount of time in the G League. It doesn't mean that he's never going to – like, I think he's going to make the league at some point. Mm -hmm. But for a guy like him to come back and get a little bit stronger, like, I think he genuinely could, with a really good year, like, become a top ten pick. Whereas – I just don't think he has much of a chance to do that right now. But it all comes down to how you view things. Like, do you want to – when you get paid to play, you can go work all day long in the G League. Um, I get that aspect of it. Maybe that's more appealing to you than coming back to school for another year. But I think – I just think monetary, like things like that. Like if, you, if you're the 27th pick for a team, I mean, you could still end up being a good player for them like Kelton has been for the Spurs. But, like, is there more incentive for a team to invest in you if you're the 27th pick or if you're the 8th pick? You know, so – and I think he has that kind of potential where he could be that. But uh, he's probably not going to come back. I think we've – Probably need to move on from that. I mean, well, that's like the whole the, the PJ Washington thing. I mean, look where he would have gotten drafted had he left after yeah. his freshman year. But where was, where was it going to be, Derek? It wasn't going to be 
in the lottery. It wasn't. I don't even think it would have been first round. That would have been if, probably forties, fifties. Yeah, like, and he could have left and said, you know what, that's fine. And here's the other thing about it. I think that PJ would still be who he is now had he left. I think he could have developed his game into that. But what did he do to his financial stability and his security with getting coming back and putting himself in position to now he's a, a key cornerstone piece to a franchise and is going to play a long time in the NBA at a spot where the NBA is valuing what those positions do more at that stretch for. Uh, Emmanuel yeah, Cooper, I, know, I know what I'm saying could like be confusing. I guess what I'm trying to say is like I don't think – I think Jackson's going to be fine no matter what if he leaves now, whereas I think BJ might not be, if that makes sense. Like, I think he's going to have a tough road, but he could still make it, but it's not going to be as as easy. Whereas I think Isaiah, whether he left after this year or whether he left after next year, I think he's going to be in a a good spot regardless. Yeah, and and, PJ didn't come into Kentucky with the same expectations that BJ Boston did. Right. PJ wasn't billed as a top 10 NBA draft pick from the moment he left high school. Uh, there, there have only been a couple of people that I thought came back to Kentucky that, you know, the Harrison twins in 2013 were, if if they would have had, if they could have gone from high school to the NBA, they would have been first round picks. That was the closest they ever got to the first round was out of high school. Uh, but. Well, do you see a scenario where BJ would, like, do you think this is an all-time high for him in terms of the stock or. Do you think he could improve it significantly? He could, he could significantly improve his stock with it. I think too. And I, and I go what you're saying. If there really are kids that come here that maybe you do need to strike while the iron's hot because the more you're Tyler Eulis, perfect example. He had to leave after that sophomore year. There was no business for him coming back. There is, and with Isaiah Jackson, he does not need to come back. That's I agree with that. Yeah. You take that and you go with it. Uh, but that, that's what I was getting at too. Was so many situations are different. Like Emmanuel quickly, it was easy for him to come back for sophomore year because where was he going? Yeah. What was he doing after freshman year? What was Nick Richards doing after a sophomore year? Uh, those are the ones that you see it work out for, and that's why we hammered home that we were kind of disappointed that E.J. Montgomery left or that Ashton Hagens left. But I don't know how much more those guys would have improved their draft stock. There, there are guys that they don't have any more room to grow when it comes to be getting drafted. But then there are guys that have significant room to grow, and you hate to see those guys make decisions that I – mean, obviously it's their decision regardless of what happens, but when it comes to a guy like B.J. Boston, who I think with another year could end up working his way into a top 14 pick. I would say it's just – that's probably – and I don't want to sound like an old head because, I mean, really the way that this college basketball has been going, like it's, it's probably worse now in terms of guys leaving than ever before, but like – I can understand if you were a big fan of college basketball in the 90s or even before that, before the options that these guys have now apparently are so appealing about playing pro ball. I can understand how you view it. And like, is, is being in college for one more year like that awful? <laughs> is playing at UK? I mean, that like that. So I can see kind of that that point of it. Um, but what you uh, kind of interests me what you're talking about with EJ and, and Ashton. It kind of gets back to the whole who has a place in this program, things like that. Because I think you're right. I don't think being in college for four years was going to make E.J. Montgomery a, a more attractive – I mean, maybe he would have got picked at some point. He's one of those guys that was more attractive out of high school. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it gets to a point where if you're never really going to be a high draft pick, do you still leave now if you say, okay, well, I'm maxed out. I'm never going to get any better now than what I am right now in terms of a draft stock. So should I just go ahead and leave and start making money now? Or do I just, you know, kind of bite the bullet and stay in college and, well, and kind of win that way, and then maybe things will get a little bit better for me. Like maybe if I'm a four-year player who plays really well, has a, maybe an All-American type season, maybe I get picked at some point. I, I don't know. That's that's kind of the hard thing. But what we've seen at UK though is that these guys all choose they, to go yeah. ahead and begin their pro careers whenever and, they feel like they need to. I guess. Yeah. And I'll wrap up this topic with this, and then we'll we'll touch on baseball before we we wrap up the episode. Uh, when it comes to kids making decisions to leave, and the NBA going from guys like LeBron James and Kwame Browns and those guys going to the league straight out of high school to the John Walls having to go to college for a year, the Anthony Davis, I'm all for these kids being able to do what they want to do out of high school. I'm all for it. But the reason it was adjusted was to prevent the Kwame Brown situations from happening, not the LeBron James situations. 
Right. Like, there's not many LeBron James. There's not many Anthony Davis. But the Kwame Brown going number one, and it never worked out. Or look at, I mean, it even it doesn't even work out sometimes when it goes the college route. Anthony Bennett was the number one draft pick a few yeah. years ago. And, it, I mean, that's the thing. It's such a – it's so messy. I think evaluating 18-year-old kids in any sport is messy, but I think it's even more messy at basketball just because you don't know the development that's going to take place over the next 18 to 22. Like, that's a pretty big time. I mean, that's where these yeah, guys – guys have it so easy, don't they? They get to watch guys play three years of college football on a minimum. Yeah, it's, it's you get, get a long period of time to evaluate. Yeah. And that's – like, you – I mean, you've, you've not gone to the EYBL stuff. But, you know, that's something – Way back uh, in Indianapolis. Well, uh, John Petty was a big recruit back then, and John Petty is still in school. That and you and, I've, you and I have talked about the YBL and everything, and I know that's something I think when things come back we've talked about going, when things are normal, like Peach Jam or something. It's it's so hard to evaluate that, though. Like, it's so – like, I, I just think that's one of the, the most difficult it, – it's one of the easiest jobs when it comes to just you get to kick back and you watch basketball, but when it comes to actually having to evaluate, I, it, it's hard. Like, I, I mean, I can't imagine – having to make decisions like that. But then again, I just feel like that these kids need to have their own decision when it comes out of high school and stuff. But then again, you want to make sure that you get it right as an NBA franchise when you're talking about pouring in millions of dollars Mm -hmm. into someone. That's who has the toughest call to make, not the evaluators. It's the the franchise, whoever decides to take the the gamble on somebody. But I, I hope it works out for all these kids. Obviously, there's still some basketball at Kentucky that we'll get into. B.J. Boston still has some time to show what he can do, so these other guys. But there's another sport that begins today, too, Derek, that I want to make sure we touch on for at least a couple of minutes here. So you're going to be uh, at the stadium today, Kentucky baseball. It's been, what, 11 months since they've played a baseball game? A long time. Yep, since uh, I think March. Well, basically whenever the basketball season shut down. That's when baseball did, too, that same day. So, uh I think it's an interesting season coming um, for Kentucky baseball. I probably I feel like I'm somewhat familiar with the roster. I'm certainly the players, the, the key players, I know quite a bit about. Um, I don't think it's any secret that the Mingeon era, if you're talking about trends, I mean, it's it's from his start, which was a, a very, very high peak his first year. I mean, it was probably always going to be tough to live up to that again because in your first season you go as far as a program has ever gone by winning a regional and then going to play Louisville for – I mean, there were two wins from Omaha's very first year, which Kentucky had never done before. Um, but since then, you know, 2018, they had a lot of injuries. I think he gets an unfair rap for that year, how it turned out, because it's at a certain point, if you just don't have your best players available, it's going to be hard to win in the SEC. Right. But the last two years, Sean, and last year gets a little because of the COVID shortened season. I, I will say, and I, I'll probably say this to, to Nick myself, like I think they were going to be pretty pretty awful <laughs> last year. Like I don't don't think there was going to be any hope for them. So that's kind of two straight years where it was just really really bad. Not a good team at all. Whereas I think this year, and I, and I mean this when I say it, I really think that they have reasons to be optimistic in terms of some of the pieces that they have acquired through recruiting, some other things, transfers now. I mean, they've got a few, two, I think three pitchers who are going to contribute this year who are all transfers from another program. I think there's reasons to to be hopeful. But I'm not – I still wouldn't say I'm overly optimistic about how this season is going to be. I think, to me, the, like there, there's obviously a very large gap in being just flat-out awful, winning seven games in SEC season versus, like, competing for the SEC. There's like a lot of middle ground there where a team can be. And I think that's where they're going to find themselves this year. I still think it's going to be a challenge in this league because I mean, yeah, I think Kentucky benefited from having us come back. They benefited from the MLB draft. Matter of fact, the guy starting the day, Ryan Hagenow, was the number 25 player in the country coming out of high school last year. In a normal year, no chance that kid's in college. But the way it worked out this year, he's here. He's going to be here for a few years. That's, that's, that's a good break that Minjion got. It's a big piece uh, to build around, too. It is. It's a big piece to build around. And then you think about their weekend rotation. Cole Stupp is a sophomore. Zach Lee is a guy I know a lot of MLB scouts like. He's also a sophomore. Hey, let's say they have good years this year. They compete well. Hagen Al does a good job. Like, you go into next season feeling pretty good about your weekend rotation. That can be the case. Like, that is what I'm looking for this year is – I think it's very important that Mingeon gives people reason to be optimistic again because the last two years it has not been that way. I think for his sake it would be very important that 
you know, you have some guys that come out to the ballpark next year and say, okay, these are next level players, but they're they're in our lineup today. Like we can compete with the maybe not Vanderbilt of the world because they're in a whole different stratosphere in terms of baseball. But like you need to be competing with Missouri, Tennessee, uh, even South Carolina at this point. I think South Carolina's got a pretty good trajectory again with this new coach, but. Um, and, and the weird thing, too, I follow baseball closely, but it's also one of those sports where if they're bad, it's very easy for people just to tune it out. I mean, it's a, considered a minor sport. It's a non-revenue sport at UK. But I'm sure with the investment that they have put into the baseball program, they would like to see uh, see some excitement return because I've talked to people, and I'll say that, I'll, I'll tell people this, when they, anybody wants to talk to me about you know, covering UK, things like that, that 2017 regional final against North Carolina State was – was maybe the coolest event I've covered the whole time I've been covering UK and I've covered citrus bowls, insulate tournaments. I mean, a lot of, a lot of cool events I've covered. And I think that was about as cool of an atmosphere environment. Well, that's the thing too. Like the new stadium hasn't really got to be, it hasn't really been broken when it comes to a crazy atmosphere or anything like it hasn't. I've never even been. I still haven't been over there there because I didn't get to go any, uh, the first year it was open. We had uh, Kentucky basketball had the long NCAA tournament run, all, all the way into the you know the Elite Eight and stuff there in Kansas City, and then it was over. I took that next month and just didn't travel at all. I didn't even drive up to Lexington for anything and didn't even get out there, which they weren't uh, they weren't great or anything. But then last year I was planning to get out there, and sure enough, you know COVID into the season. So I told you before we started recording here in the next week, I'm planning to get out there. I don't even know how to get in. Like, I don't even know where the press box is. Like, and how, it's pretty sad, honestly. I covered games at the Cliff. Yeah, the Cliff was uh, – I think it was probably done intentionally, if I had to guess. I don't know that anyone's ever said this. This is just my opinion. Like, the thing about the Cliff, it attracted a college crowd that made for a great environment. It did. That might have posed some kind of – issues I don't know for the administration that you had a bunch of college kids getting hammered out in the outfield every single game I, I don't know like it was a rowdy I think the fans are I mean I'm sorry I think the players probably loved it um, there is a feel at this new stadium I would say and again we've not been in a situation where at least I've not been over there in a situation where it was a huge game or you know maybe the crowd could really get into it it doesn't have the same kind of feel though that the cliff had and maybe that's what they wanted it feels much more like a so it's a it's a great stadium. Don't get me wrong. I mean, for UK, it's it was well worth the money they put into it. But there's there's pros and cons, you know, about moving stadiums. The Cliff was an old, old, outdated place. I'd imagine this new facility is tremendous for them in recruiting. But you lose some of that intimate feel, I think, that they had at the Cliff. But you know, you got to take the trade off. Yeah, and you know, you're you're more you go more in depth with the baseball roster than I do. You know, I've not been as tuned in the last couple of years. As you have, but I'm I'm going to get plugged in with it over the next couple of weeks. I know UK softball is off to a hot start as well. Rachel Lawson has another really good team over there this year. Uh, Autumn Hume's coming back and using that that waiver. Uh, what a freshman that's like out of the sport. Aaron Coffel, right? That's like yeah. an incredible freshman. Yeah, yeah. They she that that roster's talented. Like that's a that's a team to keep your eye on as the season goes goes throughout to another top twenty five year. For Rachel Lawson and her club, you uh, can. Yeah, that's uh, Aaron Coffall is looking at her profile right now. See, she uh, hit six twenty one her junior year of high school. <laughs> and so she says she's one of the highest rated recruits ever, and I mean she's already playing. She's already made an impact. The thing for the softball program, and I don't don't claim to be a softball expert at all. There are other media members who cover the softball team much more extensively than I do. Just my takeaways from it, and I watch them play in the regional and super regionals every single time they make it. It seems like they always get caught in that like fourteen to sixteen range where they gotta like play these great teams. Where they gotta go to Washington or yeah, Oregon or something. It makes it really hard to to get past that because it's it's tough to beat those teams. And they did it one year. They went out there and they beat. I think it was UCLA, right? Yeah, yeah. They made it to the College World Series. So um, it's harder, easier said than done on the SEC. But if Rachel could get that program to where they're like an eight or a nine seed, something like that, I mean. I think you'd love their chances in a two out of three series to to beat some teams. And she's I'm, done a tremendous job. I mean, she's been here what like fourteen years now, something like that. Yeah. Thirteen, fourteen years, and been she's done a great job. You're talking before we got on here the the women's swim team, I believe that that won the SEC for the first time ever. Mitch jumped in the pool. I mean, they're volleyball is like number one in the country or close to it. There's a lot of good things going on um, 
in this athletic department. Of course, basketball is always going to be king of Kentucky, and then football right behind it. I get that. Um, yeah, there's other sports there. That are, yeah, like soccer had, had good moments. Yeah, that's a spring sport this year, right? Like yeah. Typically in the fall, but playing playing the I mean, spring. So. I mean, you're talking about it, you even go as far as cheer. I mean, as dominant as they've been, like it's it's always like across the board. UK athletics very very competitive and successful. And, uh, you know, we've had some people ask us to touch on baseball, softball, things like that, and we should start doing that. We'll, I think what we'll start doing now that we're in this part of the season, honestly, we probably should do year-round, is we should do a certain episode a week, or at least have like a segment where it's like a roundup, like that we do yeah. like scores and stuff across the, the board at UK Athletics. So we'll we'll be touching on that. And, and if, you uh, have, if you have kept up with us throughout this whole podcast and uh, you're still listening, and you and you are one of those fans who really care about baseball, like for a mailbag or something. If, you, if there's something I didn't touch on, like I'm probably better in a setting where you directly ask me something to talk about versus me just rambling about the baseball team. So if you, that's that would be my advice to any baseball fans who want to hear um, baseball coverage. Like ask me specifically what you're wondering, and I'll I can answer it probably pretty well for you. Derek is definitely plugged into the baseball beat. Uh, has been. Uh, Derek, probably one of the – I think you're probably the best to follow when it comes to the baseball coverage of UK Athletics. Well, I appreciate that. Um, it's one of those beats, again, like it doesn't get as much attention as some other ones, but um, I do like kind of how niche it is because anytime there's been coaching searches or things like that, I mean, basically what I'm trying to say, this is like very inside journalism stuff, but like it's a lot tougher, at least for me, it has been to get connections in football and, bas- and uh, basketball major sports, whereas – a sport like baseball, it does not get as much attention. You get people much more willing to want to help you out, I guess I would say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but we wanted to come over here and just kind of recap what – not a lot with basketball. We wanted to talk about the Chris Mack deal, and then we wanted to touch on, uh, obviously, baseball and softball. We didn't mean to get into the whole NBA draft type thing and one and done uh-huh. and all that stuff. Uh, but that's the beauty of this podcast is that uh, – we just whatever comes to mind, we discuss it and we talk about it. We'll have another mailbag episode later this week, and then we'll we'll be back to recap whatever happens around UK this week. Uh, recruiting, uh, no midweek basketball game. Uh, Kentucky's next game will be Florida at Rupp Arena Saturday. I think that's a four o'clock game on Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure, but so Florida at Auburn tonight. Uh, there's obviously a lot can happen, even though that Kentucky's not playing this week. A lot could happen in the SEC standing, so I'd be paying attention to the Florida game, uh, pay attention to what Tennessee does, and right there in the middle of the pack, Ole Miss, that, that, that's the teams that I'd be watching because that certainly uh, impacts and affects Kentucky's seed, regardless of whether or not Kentucky's tipping off. And one more thing, too, Derek, that I wanted to say, when it comes to scheduling these games and rescheduling these games, there's one factor of Kentucky you have to everybody has to be very cautious about right now, but more so a team like Kentucky, who is on the outside of the NCAA tournament looking in. You don't want to put yourself in a position like with Texas A&M, who's had COVID issues since January 30th. You don't want to go play Texas A&M at the expense of you getting a positive COVID case and shutting your program down and not getting to play in the SEC tournament. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I don't know if A&M's even going to return this year, uh, honestly. Uh, I guess they will. I mean, not to – I mean, I know we're about to wrap this up, but like, has there been any thought as to – what if A&M just decided they wanted to shut it down? I mean, then you end up having a 12-team SEC tournament. I mean, how does that change things? Have there been contingency plans put into this, or are they just going to not play anymore and then show up in Nashville and play one game and go home? You know, Does, that, does that go as a forfeit and a win for Kentucky and the other teams that they haven't played? Because I think that that's the, it's impacting seeding. Like yeah. that's in, who needs seeding more than Kentucky right now? I mean, so that's, A&M's only played eight or nine SEC games, right? And yeah. almost everybody else has played 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah, it's, wow. that's that's the other thing about evaluating. How about Kentucky climbing in the net rankings too? I mean, it's okay. it's certainly they're they're inside. I want to think the top sixty-four. So when it comes to NCAA tournament, I mean, they're honestly like they're eight and thirteen. But when you look at it, maybe their resume is not as awful as what we think it is. But uh, they certainly need wins, and I still think that they're going to have to win the SEC tournament unless for some reason they do climb above 500 and the NCAA committee evaluates them a little differently. But LSU, LSU, Tennessee, and Florida, those all quad one wins? I don't think LSU's not, is it? 
Is it not? Okay, I didn't know if they were. I, I just saw something that said that UK has more quad one wins than Louisville now, but I don't know how many Louisville has or. Since it's at Rupp, was LSU? Did L, where, where is LSU in the net? Because it was a home. Oh, yeah, they're in the net, but they're they're fairly high in the Ken Palm, and I think there's not a huge difference, mostly between. Maybe it isn't a quad one win. I've not looked. At, I have no reason to look at UK's resume this year. Well, I'm just guessing. Like those are the only like truly good wins they have in terms of like. Yeah. If you were thinking about a resume like Florida, LSU, and Tennessee, or dude, Tennessee's all the way down to 24th in Ken Palm. Yeah, they're they're moving in the wrong direction. Uh, but one person moving in the right direction, or one group, is the Butcher's Pub. They're moving to London pretty soon, Derek. It's Taco Tuesday at the Butcher's Pub today. Two locations, one in Palmville, one in Williamsburg. Get out there for Taco Tuesday. It's also $4 margaritas. Uh, that's the combo that they're that they're going with today. So get out to the Butcher's Pub, both those locations, for Taco Tuesday. And then uh, visit the butcherspub.com for any information when it comes to opening their new location in London, or you can access all the Butcher's Pub locations by visiting Facebook and searching the Butcher's Pub Palmville, the Butcher's Pub Williamsburg, or the Butcher's Pub London. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. If you have a family relying on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. That's where Policy Genius comes in. In minutes, Policy Genius could save you 50% or more simply by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. To save on life insurance and get protection for you and your family, head to policygenius.com today.